severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job. Hello and welcome to Just Get a Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. I'm of course your host, Jamie McKinley, and we need to get a new intro rhyme or whatever because there's too many words, there's too many C's in that. I don't know why we say creatives three times. I, I, just, I don't know, I started doing that like a year ago and it's just stuck. So if you have any ideas and you listen to this, please get in touch. But anyway, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Apologies we couldn't do an episode last week. Currently in the middle of moving flat, which is always very stressful and always takes a lot longer than you think it's going to take. You always just start packing. You're like, how do I have so much stuff? It's, it's, it's just a bizarre thing. I'm also working on my first ever production as a script editor, which has been very enjoyable, but it's also very stressful, very, very full on. And it's kind of hard to just have any time to, to do stuff like this outside of work. So I'm not sure if we'll be able to do the podcast as regularly as we are now. We might have to take a month off or sort of put out the episodes a bit more sporadically but we'll definitely keep trying to churn them out got some great conversations recorded and some great guests i still love to speak to so lots of promising things to come at just get a real job but yeah we've got a brilliant episode in store for you today as we are joined by a friend of mine and is also from the wonderful town of glenrothes which is always lovely to have people on from where i'm from but this week we are joined by script supervisor katie skinner and i've been trying to get kate on the podcast for seven months or something to create it's been an all year basically i've been trying to like we'd be both been keep saying to each other okay you're on the I'll come on the podcast and you know we'll record an interview and we've just been both so busy never been able to make it work so finally had kate on the podcast last week and we had a really nice conversation about growing up in glen office we talked about being at school because uh yeah they were in the year above me at school so me and kate had a really nice chat about that it was very nostalgic we also spoke about them being a script supervisor as well which was really interesting we never had a script supervisor on the podcast me and kate also sort of got into this industry into our respective jobs although we did different things we both sort of ended up doing them from doing loads of other jobs so we had a really interesting conversation about that katie was a great guest and i'm sure you're gonna enjoy what they have to say in this week's episode yeah if you're enjoying the podcast as well be sure to tell friends and family to listen be sure to spread the word leave us positive reviews on apple or spotify or even samsung podcast where we seem to be getting quite a lot of american listeners at the moment which is really exciting if you're listening in the states thank you very much it's been great having so many american listeners recently it's been amazing we'll have to get some american guests on soon but yeah please thank you for your continued support and yeah i'm gonna bumble my way to the end of this intro i'm so out of it today trying my best though but thank you for listening and i hope you enjoy episode 96 of just get a real job with the brilliantly talented katie skinner script supervisor Hi Kay, how's it going? Nice to see you. Hi Jamie, it's lovely to see you too. It's going really good. It's going very, very good. Thank Would, you. It's only taken us what seven, <laughs> eight, what, seven or eight months to get to this. I mean, every time I see you, I'm like, we're doing a podcast, and then it's like, would any of us have time anymore in this TV industry? Who knows? It's actually like a become a running joke, I would say, oh, by wow. this point. <laughs> like, but no, I'm genuinely thrilled to be here. Although, admittedly, I have quite a lot of free time at the minute. So, like me, yeah. I work in TV and have free time. It would seem. Well, we just swapped over because I think I had a lot more free time at the, when I first asked you and you didn't and then productions swallow you up and then it's like, oh my God. Your life gone for like 
X amount of weight. Yeah, I know. Well, it's always nice having a friend on the podcast. But and again, another guest from Glen Office. I think you'll be like the tenth person now, from at least from Fife, which is always very, very nice. I feel like really Fife was like putting something in the water that made us all seek validation through like the creative arts. What is that about? I know. But there's not as many as you'd think. And obviously, we'd had Rachel Main on the podcast a long time ago, back in the early days. Like <laughs> it was like episode twenty six or something. And and at the time you lived together and she works yeah. in the creative industries and obviously you work in the creative industry so it's always it's quite nice to have other people that I'm like they're just as mental as me working in this crazy industry 100% there is like I don't know if it's correlation I don't know if it's causation but like Glenn Rothes is responsible is what I'd say well it's good it's a good bit of inspo I mean we'll talk about it more as we go on but like just before we kick off do you want to sort of talk a bit about what you do you're a script supervisor obviously do other things as well I know you'd sort of worked at a you know studied film and English and stuff at uni as well and you'd like worked in various little creative roles over the last few years but do you want to give us like a quick introduction yeah okay so it's even weird to say it because it's literally only this I've done two jobs in the role but I am uh, my name's Kate Skinner and I am a script supervisor which is like very very new but I as Jamie had said I worked in factual tv for a little bit before that I worked in projection and in like curation and programming for cinema so it's always been related to visual arts law I found myself having fallen into the script supervisor role and I actually love it like I feel like it was the job that I've been waiting on so yeah yeah no it's very exciting plenty to sort of get through tonight and as I say this everyone I interview who I know quite well when I do my podcast voice or do like my usual interview school I just feel like the sort of self-conscious I'm like in my head I'm like that you know that I don't really speak like this and I'm normal <laughs> we were out on Saturday I was even you saw me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was like Who's this person speaking to me now in this moment? No, but I love this. It's like the phone voice. It's like, I feel that I know you better now that I've heard your like professional voice. Oh my God. I know. Well, we'll see. We'll see how we get on. But obviously, <laughs> we like to kick the podcast off by asking about people's earliest creative memories. So do you remember growing up in the lovely town of Glenrothes as a youngster? Mm-hmm. Like, were you always interested in film or the arts or anything to do with what you're doing now? Were you were you a creative child? Yeah, but like not actually anything to do with what I do now. So probably my first creative of memory would be singing but and that was just something I, I did probably the first thing that I really fell in love with creatively was fashion and so I used to like for for until I was way older than I should have been but like especially just as a young child it was like paper dolls dressing up Barbies it was never playing with dolls or anything it was just like making them look a certain way and I think maybe that's where I got my appreciation for like aesthetics maybe but it just was always how things look was like a big thing for me yeah so just like interested in like the colors and the the sort of more from a creative standpoint than a like I'm playing type thing but you were obviously not really conscious of that as a child either I don't know like that could be like lol potentially we're finding out if it's autism that could be a potentially autism thing I don't know what that really was but the, it, regardless of the kind of playing with it I think as an adult I can look at it now and realize that maybe what interested me so much was like creative expression and like the, that fashion meant something that it like spoke to something obviously I don't think I thought that at the time because I was a baby but like I think that's the the link through is creative expression through how we look and like what we see so I think it was just realizing I was a very visual person mm. but also like and Gle- I mean the next question is about where you're from so I kind of answering that a bit early but like growing up somewhere like Glen Office I feel like there was like I don't know I'm not putting it down obviously as I'm sure I get so many accusations of you on this being like you just slag your hometown off on this I love it I'm glad <laughs> to be from there but like I suppose like we sort of I feel anyway and I know we'd spoke about this probably like, you sort of do cling on to creative things like that because it's like an escape from where you are because there's not really much going on there and it's a bit grey and a bit like I don't know industrial etc that's exactly it like just in fact to elaborate 
more on it. It wasn't even dolls. It was Barbie dress-up games online. And, like, I would log hours looking at these, like, Barbie little things in Glenrothes and, like, Woodside and my little house. Because it was just so, like, pretty and nice and vibrant. And, like, Glenrothes is just grey. Like, I love Glenrothes. And it's not to say that it's not beautiful, because it is beautiful. Mm. But it's like a, an old mining town And I think definitely from a young age I wanted something like bright and poppy And like in my face and like camp I wanted camp honey And I think that's where <laughs> I came from Yeah, desperate for it and also, I remember, like, you, that, that's just, you just reminded me that in high school, you did, like, singing stuff a lot. And like, I, I mean, I never did music, and you're in the year above me, but I do remember you, like, being in the music department quite a lot. So there was that sort of an early outlet for you as well, like, as you say, like, the singing and the sort of playing music and stuff. Yeah, 100%. Like, singing, I just always did. It was one of those things where, like, you don't, your parents one day just sort of realise that you can sing, and then they're like, do it in front of your friends, do it. But I got into that, and I was, a, I really like writing, and so I used to, like, write in, like, songs about stuff that I like, singing about, like, riding in my Cadillac, because I'd, like, like heard it on like 90s radio and then would like write a song about riding in my Cadillac heartbroken and yeah it just always has been an outlet whether it's like being in bands or like doing it publicly like never was a big fan of like singing on stage or whatever but there is something really nice about like performing with a band I always like the unity as well as the creativity thing just like or being in someone's basement and just like doing a really awful rendition of a Nirvana song like yeah it's a good way to get the angst out I think definitely and you used to do like vocals and stuff for people's recordings I remember you doing that I'm pretty sure I remember like seeing that happen a few times over the years yeah like they were just like people that sang just were like you utilized very aggressively by like one one specific music teacher a great guy if you had any musical inclination then you were you were doing your work you were like doing bits you were staying after school and you were working on these good people sound record like a sound engineering program yeah thing. and it was just like yeah it was did a bit of that as well back in the day <laughs> well that's it i feel like everyone that is from glenroth is that we kind of know has music a little bit in common Music was a big, like, was definitely a big escape. And obviously Elliot, who obviously, you know, growing up, you're best friends with Elliot, like Elliot's twin yeah. and like listeners all know him well as our editor, etc. And like a <laughs> you know, big part of, big part of this podcast. But he's, I mean, he's like a prime example of that, like very musical. I mean, you were, yeah. as you say, like playing in bands. I don't, did you like perform the talent show in bands and stuff then? Yeah. I, I, got, I don't really remember yeah. this because I mean, I wasn't popular enough at school to be going to these cool things until I was a bit like in the last <laughs> sort of last year of school. So I kind of, <laughs> when you were still at school, I wasn't, I didn't really exist I know that I did but do you know what I mean I feel like I, I knew who you were like yeah but like I was quite knew like who you were you were like the invisible man <laughs> but like, I, just, I just feel like I wasn't aware of things like in that way if you know what I mean I wasn't like I didn't know all, all the goings on etc I'd make him a sound sound like much more of a loser than I, I was know, but... you're like, this is, what is this character you've created for I, yourself no no I th- I've come across by that. Listen, I to the listeners, I don't think I'm the main character in an indie film. I probably did <laughs> then. I don't anymore. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember like that all happening really. Yeah, it was. I, so my mum really made me do stuff like in public, like on stage. And my mum made me do like a couple of like instances, uh, like a backing track. But then as I got older, there was some guys I always kind of played in a band with, and I don't know that we were good, but we were full of angst. It was something, and we done a couple of talent shows and bits and pieces like that. But yeah, it, it was never doing it. In public, it was always the rehearsal process. I liked it, was always the like working mm-hmm. it out with the groups. But yeah, no, I was like, I'd done a number of talent shows every year because I was fully guilt tripped by both the music department and my mum. So yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mom. No, I'm kidding. Thanks, mom. Yeah. Well, the next question is about obviously where you're from and how that's influenced you. We sort of kind of touched on it quite a lot already. This this happened with Rachel. I just end up in the start of being like how they sort of be as like being nostalgic about growing up in Glenrothes and what it means to us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But touch on that, like what has Glenrothes influenced you, like as a creative person, etc. I don't. It's it's such a weird one because on the one hand, and maybe you'll feel like this 
knowing that kind of to to do these creative pursuits you had to leave Glenrothes was like a big mm. thing what was good and bad about Glenrothes is that it sort of pushed me out of my comfort zone because I, I had to leave and like I don't know I was very nervous to like leave and get out but ultimately it is what it gave to me on that side so the getting out of it that is something and I don't mean that to sound like dead arsey it's not meant to but it was like understanding that like mm. actually you would have to make a sort of wider life change to have what you want and that was like a good thing to get maybe the other thing the biggest thing about going office, I think it's just the people I met because it's like it's the, it's all you kind of know I don't know how living somewhere else might have made me more or less creative but I do know that for instance my favourite place in Glen Rothes slash more so in Fife is the Adam Smith Theatre but then my second place would be the Rothes Halls and it was like those sort of art spaces when there wasn't loads of art spaces really made art stand out mm. for me as well when I was younger like as an usher and it was I don't know I think it's like when there's maybe not so much opportunity you find that you gravitate not only to creative people but to like creative spaces too and it was nice to have that maybe on a smaller scale than it might have been if you just lived in Edinburgh or like somewhere that and, and you took it for granted yeah that's I think interesting it's, yeah like I, I think because it is it's not to, to chat badly of it but it was just it really it honed the interest in but the, the biggest thing I think I took away from going office is the sense of humour. That was so mm. fast. The biggest, yeah, the sense of humour. Because I just think that it's it seeped its way into every sort of part of my life and, like, how I react with people. Does any of that make sense? But, yeah, I just think that there's a very... No, I think it does. Glenn Rothis, Fife sort of sense of humour that I think is maybe endeared people to me or other Glenn Rothis people to each other. Yeah. I, I totally go you mean with the humour thing because it's like the way that I like speak to my mates that I grew up with is like so different to any other friendship or relationship I've had like anywhere else in my life. And I still have that sense of humour but it's just a very specific I can't explain it. It's like unique to that to that thing at being grown up in Glenn Rothis may I elaborate. But no it makes total sense and there is that aspect as well about like as you say that you have to leave the place but do you did you might understand this and I, th- I think I spoke about this with Rachel at the time but that sort of other sense of growing up somewhere like Glenrothes you feel like ridiculous having the notion to like want to go off and work in something like television or be in the creative industry like saying that you want to do that when you're older feels a bit ridiculous almost like like I don't know if you said that to somebody they might be like a bit like what I mean that people like that around here don't really do that um, 100%. which is obviously it's wrong because so- look at us all now but because here we are doing like big man town but I think that's exactly it it's so worth like it is an old coal mining town it's an overspill town from like I'm pretty sure Glasgow if I'm right yeah Um, the new town it's a new old town in a way it's a new old town and all the industry died like it's a very very working class place and like I understand that people might be like well stay in your lane a bit because that's not what like your parents did like that's not I don't know that's just not the done thing but then again I don't know why this is totally random but you might have I feel like you might have been there as to the Glenrothes thing and they're kind of not doing it. Did you ever go to the Kino in Glenrothes? Yeah, it's a lovely cinema. Yeah, the Kino. It's a really like, nice cinema. It was exciting when it came back. It was so exciting when it came back. And Glenrothes was gassed about it. The Kino, like, got mm-hmm. used. I feel like even in these working class spaces, like, people still did want that creative outlet. Like, I remember, like, going to, like, horror nights, like, a like, bunch of people, like, in my year and the year below. And, like, going to see, not even, there was, like, not horror, sorry, cult movies. And, like, going to mm-hmm. see, like, cult movies and, like, the little, like, couches in the Kino and, like... They do, like, midnight out. show-ins and stuff, remember? Yeah, the midnight show-ins. They done, uh, like, the Breakfast Club and stuff like that. Yeah. And, like, Labyrinth. We, you were at Labyrinth as well, yeah. weren't you? I remember that. It, it, it broke. We had to all leave. Yeah, we had to all go. And you were at that. And you, you were there, yeah. <laughs> wow. Go so back now. That was that was nothing. That was completely unrelated yeah. to anything. But basically, yeah, I don't know, like, Glenrothes is a vibe. 
and it has baby things. In but it. That, that's so interesting as well. Speaking about the keynote, and I know you will come on to this because I know you worked in in the cinema as well at Sterling and obviously done your Russia work. But in Edinburgh, the film house has just closed down, which is really sad, really sad news. But that speaks to like the, the even in these cost of living times and such a hard t- part of you know people are desperate to go into the cinema and are desperate to escape into art, and that's why the arts are so valuable. And it's sad to see you know I mean things like the film house closed down and like I never thought about the fact that. Ha- Glenroth is just having its own cinema was such an important part for people's sort of identity, etc. Like that, I've never thought about it like that. And it's so true. And it is a shame that we have to leave this town to sort of do what we want to do. And that, that sort of feels like, I don't know, it doesn't get its own creative representation because of that, almost. 100%. Like it's, I don't, it is a shame because it's like these little like towns with these little cinemas and like, you know, work like miners clubs next to it and X, Y and Z. Like there is such an absolute beauty to it. I don't think it does get the credit for the fact that like it will be, well, the fact that me and you have a shared memory in that place. I'm sure that there's a lot of people who actually the keynote you could thank for the fact that they were like, actually, I do want to do something creative and then maybe went elsewhere. But small towns absolute create gold. There's no two ways about it. Like small towns breed genius because there's not too much to do there. Like, so you end up being creative to pass yeah, the time. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Another question, I'm excited to ask you this because I might actually know what the word means, but like, do you have a favourite word or phrase from Fife or from Glenrothes that you really love to say or that you think of? Okay, uh, from, oh yeah, oh my God, yeah, it takes a long spoon to suck with a Fifer. <laughs> you told me this one before when we sort of spoke about the questions I asked, but do you want to unpack it for the listeners? Oh wait, I'm now, I'm now like, do I actually know what it means? So it takes a long spoon to like sup, which I thought meant eat with a, fi- I thought like it's just like fifers are a bit crazy and a bit like nuts and very suspicious of people and are just a bit like, just a bit sort of like unhinged. What is yours? I, I think of a specific one to five because I've been in Edinburgh for so long I've forgotten my, I've forgotten my route. I like <laughs> that we say Bairn instead of Wayne, right? We say yeah. that. I like that. And I like that we say Bairn. Baffies as well. That's good. Baffies is a good... Scot- Scottish just do it better, but specifically, yeah, Fife. There's so much Fife dialect that I just can't, like, think of. Right, okay, mm. you'll need a long spoon to suck... Means you'll need a long... <laughs> yeah, this is what exactly what I thought it. Is it? Okay, so it takes a long spoon to suck with a Fifer. It means... It implies that people from Fife are stingy, and it... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just like a read on being from Fife. You eat with the devil, you need a very long spoon so you can keep your distance. I'm seeing so many different readings of it and different meanings, but I think it kind of just means that like Fifers should be approached with caution. And I agree with that. Like, we'll take it. We'll friendly madmen. Yeah. We'll take I'll take that one. I'll take that one. We get slag from the rest of Scotland as well. So we'll take we'll take what we can get. Right. No wonder we're all a bit scared. No wonder you need a larynx spoon to suck with a fifer, because we've heard what everyone else in Scotland has said about us. No wonder I'm a bit suspicious. No wonder you're not eating right from my bowl when you're gonna come and be like, mate, 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 and mock my accent. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Like, no, not today. Like, oh man. Well, so we're moving on to like, we, we kind of touched on the fact that you studied um, English and film, right? Sterling. Yeah. So, when you're 18 and you're leaving high school, like, what are you sort of planning to do with your life? Because I, I obviously remember being in the same boat, like going off to do a sort of film degree and people being like, oh, you just sort of doing it for a laugh. Like, were you just doing it because you were <laughs> passionate about it or did you actually think at the time? Because again, that imposter syndrome growing up somewhere like that, did you actually think, I'll go and study this and I might actually get a job in it? Or was it just sort of like, I'm interested in it, I'm going to give it a go? It's actually, so funny and embarrassing. I was only going to go and do English because I really, really liked English and I was good at English in high school in spite of being incredibly dyslexic. Uh, somehow managed to pull that one out of the bag. And then, yeah, look at us go. Both work on scripts is dyslexic. Like, truly, we're, like, we're on that script thing and like, we can't. We struggle to be on black, like, black on white. Like, life is really hard, but like... Here we are. Yeah, so yeah, the very, very long story short, I had such a big meltdown when it came to having to decide what I wanted to do next that my mum picked my degree for me. 
Love it. Well, it's worked out well. It's worked out great. She was like, hey, you're doing film and English, and if you get to do a third thing, you're going to do philosophy. And that was like, I really like philosophy too, so great. But no, like literally, I went to uni being like, it's three to four years to grow up. Like, no one massively was like, yeah, you're going to do any sort of work. Like, the running joke in my life is that I wanted to be the like the, the first black female Doctor Who. No, never knew what I wanted to be. So my mum's like, yeah, when people ask me, I just tell them that you want to be, like, Doctor Who. <laughs> I was like, yeah, cool. Is that still an ambition you'd you hold? It still is definitely. No, 100% is still. I won't be the first, I think, but I might be, like, a, yeah. a fun non-binary Doctor. Anyway, still very much a thingy. But, yeah, my mum was like, you're going to go do something. And I was like, this is just going to be an opportunity to grow up. I never actually considered working. Never thought about it even for a second because English is great but English I was like well I don't want to be a teacher and I also don't want to be a lecturer so I don't really know what I would do with English and then film I hated everything practical like I absolutely detested it I didn't enjoy filmmaking I didn't like having to make a film on a phone I hated writing essays because of the dyslexia but also like I like talking about it and what I figured I was most interested in was programming and commissioning so it wasn't anything creative at all like at all it was but I think that is a little bit commit that is creative programming and commissioning is kind of creative right I, I su- do you know what I suppose it is but it's not like that I don't know. I know that most of the people in the class, when we done the sort of understanding audiences modules that that commissioning sort of bit was in, was like, why are we doing this? This isn't like relevant to us. And like, fair enough, for 90% of people, it's not going to be relevant. People want like wanted a practical filmmaking thing, but it just didn't do it for me. And then it was it was through work and through working in the McRobert when I worked in there at uni mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, I could be a programmer. I could use my love of the audience as much as anything to do something but that was like two, three years into it. Like for two, three years, I didn't even consider that the mm-hmm. degree I was doing would get me work. Like not even a little bit. Yeah, but that's a common misconception with this industry. And like, I, I think sadly a lot, like be, the two jobs we do are good examples of this because I get accidentally called a script supervisor with people that work <laughs> in this industry. And I'm like, no, no, I'm mm-hmm. a script editor. They're totally different roles. But people don't understand. Even when I studied film for four years, I didn't know what a script that it was. I didn't know what a script supervisor was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of the set roles or anything really about the specific film and tv roles and etc so when we grow up we don't really know that these jobs exist so we don't know what we need to do to get those jobs or that they're even an option to us because we just think as you say could be doctor who or i could you know as an actor or i could be a director like we think of the obvious creative roles but you don't think of the really specific ones so like you doing your degree even with programming stuff that's not automatically an idea in your head like oh i could do this for work like 100 sad and even in like affluent places i don't think these jobs are just that well known about Oh, they're not. Like, and it's it's reflected in the fact that, like, I think in Scotland there were something like seven script supervisors. There's yeah. not these like massively understaffed roles, but yeah, like it's just that you don't know, you don't learn about it because it's I don't know, like TV is almost a machine unless you work in it sometimes. Like I think it, there there are so many moving parts that like why would you know every part of it? But then it's really difficult to like gear yourself up and you don't I feel like it's not until sometimes you're on set or you're already in the arena that you're like, Oh actually maybe this would suit me. Like everyone goes to uni and wants to be a producer or a director or an editor and it's like there are actually just so many other stopgap things. Not even stop gaps, but there are just so many different ways to get to yeah, yeah, yeah. all of these things. Because even I worked in factual, like I didn't want to work in drama. I, I thought 100%. I would hate it. So mm-hmm. like it was all documentary. It was like the job that I do now didn't exist really in the interest I had before. Mm. But it's not until you just try something or are allowed into this space that you can figure out actually maybe this on paper i would hate this but practically it's great like before, yeah that no that's really interesting you, you described that in a really interesting way so before i sort of we'll go we'll come back to the program thing next i don't want to ask about that but 
you talked about like being allowed in the space. Do you unpack, do you mind unpacking that bit more? Because I think that's a big issue. Like how do we, as two working class people that have grown up in somewhere from Glen Rothes, et cetera, is there a way that us as individuals, I know it's not on us as individuals to change this, but like how can we make an industry, because we're part of the future of this industry, but how can we like allow people into that space more? Like what do you think the industry can learn that it can do that would help that to happen? So, so it's a great question. I think it's kind of like, I think there are a number of folds to it, so to speak, but I feel like, okay, the, the, biggest things i think especially like being somebody who is black slash just non-white it's all about who you can see reflected in the industry so like even until i hit like watching fresh prince age there weren't black people on tv so it never even occurred to me that it was something i could do let alone someone in fife in glenrothish and nowhere like working class and like broke like it just didn't it didn't even occur and so i think what's super 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 important and the way that people like us can get into the industry is by having people like us going to schools and going to career days and going to like yeah going and targeting kids so that they know that what they want to do isn't like fanciful it's not a mickey mouse degree it's not a surefire way never to make money and to like stay with your parents forever although i'm skint and staying with my parents right now with my mum um but like that there is i don't know like there is the option because it's like you don't i feel like the perfect analogy is that like see when you grow up poor and then you go out for dinner you can you will only order the thing that you know you like because not liking it would be a huge waste of money and food is a luxury like that mm-hmm. if you have the opportunity to just see all these other things then you're not just always going to get a burger and chips you might actually try lasagna because mm-hmm. your whole life isn't on burger and chips is, is that like a rubbish no that i think that i think that's really good actually i think that makes a lot of sense it's like, like getting the opportunity to like actually take a risk and try say for example you think i quite like props or art or something or even if you take this out of the tv industry like, and you want to be like in a band or something and you want you know just taking the risk to try learning guitar or something it's like if you know that that's an option and it'll be okay to do it, then, you know, that helps. But obviously, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the money to take those risks, especially at the moment. But it's allowing people the time and space to sort of get the opportunity, isn't it? Especially in an industry like TV, like, as you say, just letting people know that these things are. And we, I think we need to be a lot better as an industry at going out and letting people know about it. Because it's, it's a bit of a clo- it's a bit of a gatekeeper industry, isn't it? Like, and it's even more, especially, obviously... I'm speaking as a white man as well, so it's a, a lot not as bad for me. But do you know what I mean? It is a very gatekeepered industry. And there's a long oh, way totally to go. Is. It totally is, and like I don't know that it goes without saying that like the first break I got given in TV, like working job after having studied, was by a black guy that I spoke to because I was like, I don't see anyone else that looks like you in any creative spaces, and I want to work with someone that looks like me. And like he gave me my like there's a. I think we all need to be a bit better at like wanting to see as much represented in and off screen. And you need to do that by hiring people mm. that might actually take your job someday. Like you need to be okay with that because in the now, we need these people to fill these spaces. And like, the, I just don't, I feel like if, if we can do drama in school, why aren't we teaching stuff like TV and film when I think it's like proven, like I know that the, the SQA, like their syllabus is now are really, really pushing creative education because it's shown that like countries that have the, the, the highest creative output also have the happiest and richest populace. Mm-hmm. And so Scotland now are really, really trying to push that in school. And the hope is that like you don't have to be in sixth year taking an elective in college to get to study film or you don't have to have an English teacher who is absolutely committed to like teaching her class to read in film. Because my English yeah. teacher taught me and she didn't need to do that and it wasn't massively in the syllabus but like miss casey oh man what an absolute that's the reason i got into film is actually down to her that so it's lovely to them because we watched the godfather and like she made me really passionate about it because i was like i didn't know this was like a thing that you could analyze and yeah yeah so that's so but it's so true that that shouldn't have not even necessarily studying film but even if there's a careers day 
and screen mm-hmm. skills or something comes in and, and you like treat it as an apprenticeship because people don't have to go to uni to work in a lot of these jobs either yeah I mean I know it worked out for us but like it doesn't have to for everyone like you could go straight as an 18 you know and probably become a runner or work in props or work in smart <laughs> some sort of like say health and safety like yeah COVID in these days yeah like you don't you literally I don't have masters and it was like it was great I did not need a master's to do this job no. it's not related to the job I do mine either it's- well a little bit but yeah it's just like, ugh, but you need it for the contacts, not even for the ability to do 100%. the job. The, ugh, it just yeah. needs to be less gatekeeper and the contacts better dispersed so that you don't have to do a master's and spend loads of money to just meet the person who will give you the job. Like 100%, which is definitely what happened to me, but that's a good <laughs> thing, but you know. Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash justgetarealjob, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. Anyway, this was a really good tangent, but we'll, we'll go slightly, we'll wind slightly back yeah. to, to the programming sort of thing that you ended up doing for a bit at the Mick Robert. Is it Mick Robert you did it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so when you graduated, you talked about sort of having an interest in that. You did that for a little bit, because I remember at the time speaking to you about it, but how long did you do it for? You sort of worked in programming at the very start of your sort of creative career, I guess. Yeah, so I so I think I just dropped out of, I'd only done three years of uni, I dropped out, or not, I'd done my fourth year, dropped out halfway through it, spent a lot of time in a cinema, and then through the programmer, I was put on to like a scheme called the Film Exhibition Distribution and Sales, and that was, I think, through the, the BFI, I think, was it? It was through like a big film organisation in London trying to get minorities people of colour like women just trying to like positive discrimination and um, a more diverse programme in life and I started off basically just assisting the programmer for the Mick Robert and I got super into that and sort of towards the end of it programming I'll just say in case it's kind of not really really obvious what it is because I didn't know what it was until it was uh, programming is basically like putting the film brochure together so like you're picking the films and then scheduling them in a way that suits the audience that makes sure that you're not showing horror at 11am on a Sunday when babies might go and watch Toy Story like it's you're picking all the films that go to your audience and then you're scheduling them at a time it's kind of much how like there is a TV schedule and yeah super got into that and done that for like nine months done nine months of that and then I worked on their documentary 
documentary festival for a couple of months also and sort of curated that or I didn't curate it that's a massive like I co-curated that with a with a programmer who absolutely knocks it out of the park with a with CSDF it's called Central Scotland Documentary Festival and it's stunning and beautiful and so yeah that was how I got the that was how I got my end and absolutely just fell fell in love with understanding audiences and picking films for them that how you sort of ended up going into factual slightly yeah it was going to like documentary festivals and sort of film festivals to see documentary I think I just realized quickly how what a great mode of information is a documentary it was just like it's the it's the perfect way to learn about anything and I really just got uh such an appreciation for people who are able to just tell the story of what there is it's actually really really hard to just tell the story of what's happening sometimes and it's like to, to be able to yeah. do that in like a, a compelling way I just gained such an enjoyment of it and then it was like yeah well I'll work in factual then I'll go work in factual tv so I've done a master's in factual tv and realized that factual tv and documentary are nothing alike they are absolutely not really related at all and that there, there's cameras like that's about it. it's totally differently done so a fun foray into not what I wanted to do but like yeah documentary got me into factual and factual got me into tv and do you like factual or documentary more or do you sort of see them as just di- I mean they're different but like do you have one that you kind of like have more passion for I love documentary like I, documentary is cool like documentary is my favourite but that said I do watch a lot of like factual TV but like factual entertainment or reality rather than like high arts programming necessarily yeah very quickly before I ask you to sort of go into what you did in factual and eventually to where you are now was it like a favourite documentary from that period of programming stuff that you just really love and you want to plug okay. list a few if you want yeah you okay amazing some amazing documentaries that I saw in that period of time. Don't be a dick about it. Fantastic. Don't be a dick about it. Meet and Jim. Great documentary. Uh, the, oh, what is it called? Yellow is Forbidden, which is about Galpe, who designed Rihanna's Met Gala dress. They're all really good. I'm trying to think of just other great ones. I saw a good one pretty recently called Piano at Zanzibar. That was such a fun little cute one. Uh, For the Birds. Yeah. And I loved fashion documentary also, so I can't, I can't be bothered listing them off, but like there are some kind of fun, amazing ones. Oh, Alien on Stage. If you can, if you can spare a minute of your time, please watch Alien on Stage. It is the funniest thing I have ever seen. It is an Amdram group who put on Alien their Christmas panel and it is the most genius funny thing I've ever seen in my life please watch this film listeners have got lots and lots of recommendations which is always good (laughs) lucky them no thank you for sharing i didn't even realize your masters was in factual i've literally learned this now i'll be clearly not listening to you i knew you worked in it i know i didn't realize you studied it so i take on that from that degree like that led into opportunities to work on you know different factual shows and stuff yeah i had great lecturers and they dario who's i think he's head of film at starling dario and kate were my lecturers but dario and kate run the tv symposium which ran out of the mcrobert and so it's just like a big factual tv symposium where the heads of like loads of the big channels you know channel 4 itv bbc people were all there representing and then also people who worked in tv and it was a really cool networking event and it was there where i met stuart who was the other like person of color and he kind of gave me an end and sort of like hooked me up so to speak but yeah it was it was a hundred percent through my degree that i have any work in tv like 100 percent, but not because of the content because of the people that you meet it just sort of gives you the opportunity again go back to our gatekeeper conversation or how to get into the space this industry is unfortunately just who, kind of who you know really because that's how you get a lot of the jobs it's like are you you know that's definitely one of the easiest ways in is people go oh, i like to work with them i'll have them back and then you sort of on the job learn about how the industry works etc that's exactly it like that's exactly you're like higher not on even how well you can do the job initially it's just how well you'll get on with the person that you're working with you the other stuff you learn yeah but if you're not personable and you can't get on with people no one will want to work with you it's all word of mouth 
it's all yeah. who you know. And one thing I will say about doing a creative degree is the best aspect of it is does it does tend to lead to these sort of events yeah. and networking. Not, I think that's wrong. I don't think you should have to pay Very to do incorrect. a degree to get the access, but it's one positive of it. So what was your sort of first job in Factory? Like, what sort of things were you doing? I had a great first job in Factory, you know. I worked on, uh, not even any specific TV show, but I just worked for a little production company called Hello Halo. And oh, they yeah. needed, Hello, yeah, they're great. They're so nice. I worked with a, a woman called Perry in the children's development department. And I worked for maybe like a month or two, but we weren't sort of developing anything specifically. Like there wasn't a script. It was us kind of just going through ideas. And she kind of just let me have a little bit of free reign. She let me like, make tv proposals and like do the fun like making these cool like briefs of like tv shows and like here's who i'd like have on it and it was great and like just making up tv shows the, the job is literally to make up tv shows that's so amazing the dream it was perfect yeah for children no less which is always that that said that does sound really fun uh making up tv shows partly what i do for a living now okay so I'm, right? I'm all for it I'm you're on that it. making up TV, like it's <laughs> weird to think shows just come out of people's brains like what's on someone's just like i don't know let's do a show about a hospital for dogs and people are like yeah, yeah. like that's the one thing paid. that fact show does sound quite fun because in drama you have to you can't just really come up with something like that you have to think about like what the characters there's it been you know it's all this mm-hmm. but i quite like them i'm not saying fact shows easier or anything like that but i just think there's something quite fun is you could just come up with a little concept and it's like oh my god this could lead to a show 100 uh, i feel like it's it's not even that one is easier factual can just be more generally on the hoof it is a nightmare i found factual tv to just be wild yeah. whereas drama yeah there's a little bit of forethought there tend to have to wait a lot longer to get drama commissioned as well that stuff can take years and years and years which is a bit like oh. but it's part of it but when you were doing the factual as well like what other thing what other sort of jobs did you do during that period because that was quite a couple of years you spent working on that right yeah like maybe a year and a half two years so I was an archive researcher for a documentary, which was basically, it basically just entailed going through all this. It was about our comedian. I had mm. to go through all of his social media, find like videos that looked good or fun. And I basically just had to log so many videos of like this guy. And it was nightmarish and it was all on spreadsheets. But I was like, yay, it was a credit. And like, you need kind of, they'll tell you you need three credits to, to get jobs easily. So I was like, I'll just do it as a credit. So done archive research and then I done re- a, just a general research gig for a show called the the Great British Photography Contest version and they got me in like really really last minute and that was like research and stuff so like finding contributors for it finding like spaces to shoot in getting various permissions but like when you're a researcher and you're going at that early stage what nobody tells you is that you are everything you are casting yeah. you are locations if there are props you are buying them you are like if you're if the guests have an issue they're coming to you like so you just get thrown in like you become a researcher but you do absolutely every part of it shy of like getting a camera and filming it yourself although they actually want shooting researchers now so like apparently you actually are doing everything as you fully are doing everything as a researcher now but yeah so did that I'm trying to think what else just a bunch of research jobs worked on that worked on uh, a Christmas TV show which was I'm not even going to get into it it was one of the most <laughs> exciting it was just like me making candles crying in my kitchen like I hate oh, this man. it was the worst job I have ever done in my life well, um, as a researcher uh, what like what yeah as a researcher they were like go and find christmas craft i was like what are you on about no i'm a tv researcher tell me why i'm making candles Mm. tell me why i'm making candles for three days with a candle melt wax broiler thing like i'm sure there will still be wax in that flat it was actually cursed and i hate it but yeah just like stuff like that mainly research gigs mainly research yeah that's what's really interesting about today's episode is okay is you're talking about three different jobs in the creative industry i mean (laughs) you're at 26 27 like talking about them three different jobs in the creative industries that are not 
very well-known ones, which is really interesting because people can listen and learn about what a research does, what a programmer does, and then, and and in a minute when when we talk about it, what a script supervisor does. So, yeah. <laughs> you don't. It's good to have these, and you learn from each of these as well. So they probably all help in your current role now. But from the sort of period of being a researcher, how did the script supervisor stuff come about? How did that all present so, itself to the universe? So weird. Again, it was the same guy gave me a lot of like nudges and like sort of put me forward for a lot of stuff. So like I'd been working on this like magazine show for like a really long six month factual contract, which is quite unusual. And I was like a mm. researcher, but I was doing like their social media and I was in hell and I was like, this is, I don't care about, it. I hate this. And this guy's like, yeah, like there's a, there's a thing coming up. It's like an Amazon traineeship for like a big Scottish drama, sci-fi thing that's going to be getting shot in Scotland and Leith and in, in Edinburgh. And I was like, um, okay don't really want to do this don't really want to actually move to Edinburgh I was like very like not I was really scared to like make a change even though I hated research and so like he's like right just give me your CV and like I'll put you forward for it and I was like great brilliant fine so uh, I get an interview and <laughs> the girl's like so yeah like what do you want to do like here are some roles he's like well there's like script supervisor there's costume there's like camera trainee and I was like I would like to be costume and she was like right do you sew and I was like no and she was like ah, next joke she's like you want to be you idiot so I didn't hear anything for them for ages I was like well I want to do a costume so what where did I get the goal to be like well I suppose it ties it's a nice it ties back into what you said at the start about your love of costume and dolls right and it's always like yeah but like look brilliant it's a traineeship now you have to have basic ability to move if you want to be a costume trainee so they were like nah get out who you play it heard nothing from them for ages and then I got a phone call like look we think you'd be quite good at script supervisor like and I was like what does it entail and they were like mm. they were like things you're you do your continuity it's another name for continuity and I was like go on then fine so I had the interview with the script supervisor who I'd be assistant um, and she kind of explained the job to me and it was like all right okay go on then we'll give it a try like totally out of my comfort zone didn't want to do it hadn't worked in drama didn't want to work in drama thought I would hate the long days thought I would hate being in a studio and I got there and it was like this is the best thing I've ever done well immediately I was like oh my oh okay so this is what I've been looking for this is why I've done so many other jobs was because this is the thing I was wanting to do and I just didn't even know and again what's so lovely about that story is again it goes back into this like just being in the space getting that time to do other things in the sort of similar industry you didn't even know I love that when you went for this job you didn't a know what a script supervisor was mm-hmm. and b you were like I'll do something else and then you landed into it which is so quite beautiful something quite beautiful about that but yeah. what would be really good now is because I've never had a script supervisor on the podcast before <laughs> can you tell the listeners what that job is because I think uh, this is one of my things I love about this podcast is we can give roles like this a bit of like space to like so people can learn about them because you know i've tried to do that through like little sprinkles of episodes in terms of yeah. like what a script editor was but tell us what a script supervisor is for those of us that don't know okay i'll try and do this relatively succinctly and what i will say is that i am very new to the job so if there is like any script supervisors listening and being like what is this idiot talking about like okay please come and help me but <laughs> script supervisor the best way i heard it described is that a script supervisor uh, slash continuity supervisor is responsible for representing the editor and the writer on set because neither of these people are on set. The job started as basically just being the director's assistant. So like up until, I don't know the exact date, but like for the first many years of there being script supervisors, director's assistant type people, they weren't even credited. Like it was up to the directors if they would get credited. The role has grown so much now 
and it, it honestly you have to have an eye on everything so basically the main parts of what you're doing is that before the shoot we'll get the script we'll have to break down the script we'll have to like make notes about like characters where they might be obviously the script is in order for us but when you're on set you don't shoot in order so like mm. having little details like where the character if you're on page eight of the script but in page seven they were in a different location and you're going to be shooting page eight and page eight comes consecutively after page seven it's really important then that the character is wearing the clothes that they would have been in the scene before even if that's being shot months and months later so you need to be making notes in the script of like what what should the character have what are they wearing bits and pieces like that who is in a scene like and you need to know the script off by heart too so you're getting the script not off by heart but you really need to know the script you need to understand the dialogue you need to understand the beats of it and so that's another thing you would do you would break down the script into its main beats so that like when you're filming it maybe if the director is super busy thinking about something else you can be like actually well I know that we've said we've got this scene but there's a massive beat here missing and it's not going to edit it's not going to be edited together if we don't have this thing so yeah so you, you basically you're going through the script you're breaking it down and you're figuring out what you need in the at the start pre-production in production you are representing writer and editor and you are making sure that like it's like continuity is something that see if it's done well you don't notice it but see if it's yeah. not done well you immediately know when the continuity is wrong so like if you in a scene a character is like tying their shoes up and then in the next scene their shoe is untied that continuity is wrong and you will notice that you are making sure that if a character in the wide is using the right hand that in the close-up of that character they are also using the right hand because it will not cut together properly without it you're making sure that if a character doesn't know a line you have the script and you're ready to be like no honey the line is this and also like hmm, you want to make sure that you're getting the director's like not the director's input but you're like making notes for the director so if he likes you have to note what kind of the best take is because the editor might not want to go nine takes of a scene but the director will have a take take that he likes and on our like continuity notes we will make a note of that so literally we are just transferring everything that the writer has done from the set and from what the set has done to the editor and we make sure that there's continuity between what actions are happening but also in what's being shot and so fundamentally the the editor actually knows what it is that's being shot because if you're shooting hours of footage a day that needs to be labeled that the shot needs to be marked in the script so then that's the next thing this is so long and like not succinct but then you've got to align the script and you're like making a note of like the slate number so like that like you're making the note of what slate number um, matches to what line of dialogue that is in the script and it's like it's so much note taken and you have to have eyes absolutely everywhere and that's like that's most of it i'm sure there's loads of bits i missed out but it's taken me ages to explain this no i thought it was a good i thought it was a good answer and i appreciate it and i was gonna say like it's such a hard job because you have to have such attention to do i did it like so the first ever time i was on a set i did a short film for a mate like a student film for me i yeah. wasn't like, i was they said you, you sort of work in scripts like you're a writer and like, could you be a script supervisor i didn't know what it was and I, it's such a hard job and i would never ever do it again although it kind of there's some crossover of being a script editor especially like I'm doing it in production for the first time at the moment mental to me like and that attention to detail is really hard like and mm-hmm. yeah though that must, did that take you a long time to learn I mean you're still learning now but like how do you manage that attention like that's a lot it's, I don't know I feel like it's one of these things that see when you start using that part of your brain it becomes easier because like you don't you're not looking at that level of small detail in day-to-day life but like watching some of the people that have done it for much longer that the way that they are able to hone in on stuff like I, I had a guy a, a script supervisor who I was working with and the shot itself was about five seconds and I didn't even clock what he saw but it was a character going on walking over to a sink turning on a tap and then walking away and he wasn't even paying attention and he's like he's just put the hot tap on that's not right it was cold water in the script universally the cold tap is on the right hand side because that makes it unsafe continuity wise that doesn't work he's just turned the wrong tap and I was like what the hell I was like how do you 
know that or like he got phoned up like a, a month after a shoot because they were trying to get a, a close-up of a wider shot where a character is going to pick something up and so the hand needs to be the same as it is in the right and they're like Ian like this is so bizarre like do you know what hand that this character picked this thing up we need to get a close-up we need to get a pick-up and he just knew and it's like bits like that have happened to me in the last job and it's bizarre the things that you actually do retain when you're so stressed about not like I'm like I know what character that hand used to pick up a pencil in scene like 18 because it just sticks like you're so stressed about getting it wrong that it actually just stuck it's like it's really bizarre I don't know if that, if that explains it but just at a point you start seeing things differently and then you notice it in tv and it's really easy to practice because you can practice it constantly you can practice really looking at stuff and seeing if it's right and you can practice trying to memorize lines so like the way to get better at it is to practice but also like I am not there yeah i'm no master at it but you're new to it so why, you know, why would you you know you're not going to learn that overnight but you but before i know we'll start to wrap up because i know we've nearly been speaking for an hour which is insane yeah. but it's been great but you just did like a really cool job on like a as a script supervisor and you got to go to like spain for it and stuff i, I imagine you quickly want to talk about that because you seem to have a great time oh my god can i yeah can i plug this film a little bit of course it's a little you can. film called oh my, it's the sweetest thing ever it's a short film called travel and past and it is directed by a fantastic first-time director called rory power gibb and uh, all through a friend of a friend met up with them the whole team basically worked and I don't this is like a the whole team of legitimate sort of people like I was like I don't belong here I've done this job as a trainee once you're why are you bringing me in as a HOD the people that worked on this job were like fantastically stunningly beautiful proficient amazing professionals who were all like very like sort of highly praised in their individual sort of fields and we all came together we had a three-day shoot in Scotland and then we went for a quote working holiday in Spain to shoot this beautiful film that was shot entirely on film which was a terrifying fantastic beautiful experience shot it entirely on film and I've never done anything like it it was absolutely terrifying going in and being the script supervisor for it but it's the most worthwhile thing I've ever done I know that for a lot of people it's been their favorite job it's been my favorite job and when it comes out I just think it's going to be such a treat it's a really beautiful little film about memory and about traveling past it's always the dream in this industry is like getting to work abroad oh it was I, I, like the only thing I had in my head this year not was and I like it was so bizarre but I was like I just want somebody to like think I'm good enough at my job to put me on a plane like it, I don't even need to be paid for it I just want to be valued enough to a production that someone would put me on a plane and so getting that opportunity like was like incredibly like humble and amazing and I'm so grateful for it I'll be forever grateful for that role no that's lovely and it's a good place like try and get to as well and I mean lots of I mean I'm sure you'll as you say you're learning there'll be lots more of script supervising stuff to learn in the future of your career as I said I'll start wrapping things up I wanted to quickly ask because you kind of touched on that at the very start but like I, I sort of spoke about this a little bit as well but like sort of at the moment you're sort of seeking a diagnosis for like autism and stuff like do you want to quickly talk about it because obviously on this podcast we've been able to have some lovely conversations about it. and we you also talked about being dyslexic and of course I'm dyslexic as well Elliot our editor's got Asperger's and like I think it's really important to talk about this so people that listening know that because so many have so many people are in the same position and it's totally it's a normal part of society and like it shouldn't be seen as something different yeah so right now yeah I'm in the process of trying to get a diagnosis for potentially autism potentially ADHD maybe Tourette's there's like a couple of different things the doctors are like working on it but definitely what I could say is that the creative industries I think are so actually well suited to like neurodiverse neurospicy people like yeah I always maybe even more so autism more so than autism ADHD 
I really struggled, as you could tell, to stick at a job. Like, I really, really struggled. I, I bounced around a lot. I got bored easily. And then, say you want to go and work in drama, and your contracts are maybe only six weeks long, and you meet new people every time, and you're on a different job. You can actually progress in something whilst not always be working in the same job. Like, I think, or, like, if you maybe have that fantastic attention to detail that sometimes, like, having something like autism will give you, well, then that's actually very beautifully also suited to, mm-hmm. to the creative industry. But see, fundamentally, as somebody who we're 90% sure at this point is autistic what I love about working in the creative industry specifically working like on set is that you get a call sheet every night telling you where to be when lunch will be like it's actually like it's wild and your hours are unpredictable and it can be a nightmare and it's cold and it's terrible but no two days are the same and also every day is the same and I think sometimes actually as somebody who might be a bit neurodiverse any neurodiverse people that works really well for you in a way that a nine-to-five might not Mm. so I think it I don't know I think that there's no better industry for us when you get into it sometimes it can just be a little bit tricky and it can be difficult to if you maybe are autistic like I find it hard to go out of my comfort zone but every time I've gone out of my comfort zone it's been absolutely reinforced that like that's where you need to be you need to be outside your comfort zone a little bit and so yeah I've found that like these whatever neurodiversities specifically they are to name I think it's part of the reason why I like working in the industry so much because it suits me Mm. and I think it's also nice just for you to talk about that because it breaks the stigma that people have about those things and because it used to just be a taboo to talk about it but I don't think it is anymore thankfully and it's just just good to I just wanted to sort of touch on it I think what you're saying is very very true and if one more person says to me how can you be a script editor if you're dyslexic I might bash my head off a wall because I'm like (laughs) (laughs) how dare you how very dare you like no, it's not just about spelling you know you can understand it's more story. than spelling like we also have problems <laughs> with our memory too no like it's just i don't know and it shows how much you want it the fact that you're fighting your instincts on it you're fighting your mm. instincts with like reading sometimes and you're still doing it and you're still absolutely killing it jamie yeah you're absolutely well, nailing so it. anyone listening at home you, you know me and Kay are working with scripts and we you know spite yeah. all these other things you, you can do it don't let anyone tell you otherwise just get a real I've got two more questions. Um, of course, the name of the podcast is Just Get a Real Job. It all worked. <laughs> Jobs we'd hated. What's the worst part of job or worst real job you'd ever worked? Ah, yes, I've uh, been excited for this. I used to work in Claire's accessories. <laughs> I, I remember I, that as well. You told me about it. said I used to work in Claire's accessories and I used to have to pierce babies' ears. And it is actually the, it was the worst thing I have ever done in my life. And I was somehow always hungover. So, like, that problematic in itself. Like, it was always the worst. It was always a scam I hated it Pierce baby's ears is wrong like I don't ever ha- I don't ever as someone who's queer want to hear even one man speak about the gay ear ever again in my life because I heard that, that oh but what ear's the gay ear I don't know man do you like men then that ear is the gay if you don't like men you don't have any gay ears how about you get out of my face the worst job I have ever done worst I hate, I hate it I hate it sorry oh, man. no that's oh, I'm, I'm sorry to oh, make you relive that <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're at the end now, nearly, Kate. This has been a lovely conversation. I can't believe we spoke for an hour. I could speak for longer. There's so much more I could ask you, but I wish you all the best in the rest of your sort of career so far. It's really, really inspiring to like have someone. It's lovely for me having somebody from my hometown on like, that's also in this industry. I've, you know, we can, you get it. Not many people do from Glen Office, so it's nice. But to sort of close the podcast off, I'd love to ask about what your sort of closing advice would be to somebody that wanted to A, work in the creative industries, but B, maybe specifically be a script supervisor. Oh, okay. Good advice to people who want to be a script supervisor. I think the best advice I could give you is, and it's generally just advice for everyone, is don't take it so seriously. Don't take it all so seriously. Like, no matter what it is you want to do, regardless of being a script supervisor, you should not martyr yourself to it until, like, you hate your life. Like, find something 
something you enjoy and then take the pressure off yourself finding the thing you want to do is the hard bit you've got all of the time you want to hone in on your craft but like yeah when you eventually do find that thing that you might want to do and you've tried loads of different things and been down loads of arenas take a deep breath and just enjoy your life and see what happens because if it's script supervisor stuff there's not going to be jobs for you just immediately there isn't it's going to take you like a minute to build it up it's a hard job it's difficult to just get a daily so like find the thing you like try to practice being really really observant and then give yourself a break because it's a hard job and yeah just don't take it all so seriously know when to pay attention know when not to pay attention and trust the process of all the other random jobs you'll do until you become a script supervisor because I promise you if you become a script supervisor like you'll have done other random stuff too because people don't just but you don't just walk in and become a script supervisor you'll have done a whole host of other things give yourself a break if you are a script supervisor you're probably very neurotic like me give yourself a break hon you'll figure it out it's fine oh very 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 true well put like you know don't take it too seriously this industry is so hard sometimes you're having a really stressful day and you're like it's just tv at the end of the day who gives you know i mean you have to actually hold yourself and go it's just telly it's important but it's not that important really it's not that enough of it out Um, but no thank you for thank you so much for having me this has been so nice this has been lovely thank you very much Kate it's always as I say it's always lovely to have somebody you know on the podcast so thank you oh I'm sure I'll see you at less sober well there you go that's all we have time for thank you to Katie for coming on really appreciate them giving up their time some really interesting insights there as well so thank you for listening as always as well if you're enjoying this podcast be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify a five star one would be preferable but you know just a positive one in general would be lovely if you're enjoying the podcast as well we also have a patreon page i'm aware that there's a cost of living crisis but if you can afford to donate even you know two or three pounds a month to that that would go a long way in making this podcast the best it can be we invest all the money we make and the patreon back into this podcast to make it the best it can be if you're enjoying the podcast this is episode 96 so we have lots of brilliant episodes in the back catalog for you to enjoy as well and yeah as i mentioned at the start we might not have time to sort of put these episodes out as regularly at the moment because I'm just so busy with work it's a bit crazy I'm moving as well but we will try to put these out as often as possible and when I sort of finish on this job we'll be able to go back to sort of weekly podcasts which will be much more enjoyable for me because I love doing this but we'll do what we can just now and there's some really exciting things to come I just get a real job until then I hope you have a lovely week and we'll be back at some point in the near future just get a real.